So if today is maybe your first time uh, being here, you're just coming back from some kind of honeymoon or whatever it may be, uh, this is actually kind of the perfect week to come back on because you know we are gonna be kind of transitioning over to the pointers of how we think about ministering to another person. But that requires you know, going over with a little more detail uh, what we've covered so far you know, to kind of lead into that there. So uh, let me make sure my phone is working. So if you guys remember, we do want to do a, a short review of everything. On the first week, we were covering the peak that we're striving to. So as you think about sanctification, what are you striving towards? It is Christ-likeness. Uh, we cover that in three general categories. So uh, the fact that part of following Christ or becoming like him means a total surrender to him. So it's growing in this posture in which your actions, your desire is to fully surrender and live for Christ. Uh, secondly, that also involves growing desire and ability to minister and disciple other people, right? So we looked at the Great Commission passage there. Uh, the Christian life isn't just about thinking and caring about ourselves, but it's 50% just as much thinking about how do you come alongside other people? Just look at all the epistles to see how much that comes up as a major theme of uh, do practicing the one another's and, uh, you know, exhorting or teaching one another. And then we also saw how all of this ministry needs to be rooted in love, right? A genuine love for the Lord, followed by a genuine love for people. Uh, it's possible to practice all of these Christian quote-unquote duties in a way that's done out of purely uh, obligation or because you're being told to, um, but the, the manner in which we're called to serve is actually in a spirit of love. So that was kind of the, the main general idea of what we're looking at. Then on week two, we looked at the path of sanctification. So if the, the peak where we're going to is Christ-likeness becoming more and more like him, um, what does that look like as a general trend? And that is understanding that sanctifi uh, sanctification comes from heart change. So again, going to that horrible diagram that I keep on drawing, understanding that the fruit of our lives, that is the works, our behavior, our responses to situations, is always a reflection of the root of our life. So looking as we did at Luke chapter six, understanding that we need to focus on the heart because that's what then dictates and shapes how we live. Um, this is how we wanna think about sanctification, right? So don't just change your behavior, but understand what's going on in your heart. And we broke uh, the internal you or the heart as two things, which is our worldview, that is our theology, right? How we are truly viewing ourselves, how we're seeing God, um, how we're understanding people and our situations, and then of course our worship, and that is our greatest loves and desires. So if you wanna understand what's really motivating your life or another person's life, if you wanna understand um, how sanctification typically happens, you wanna see your heart transformed through the power of God, um, through his word and all these other things that we were thinking. And so what does it actually mean? It means practically, as we think about ministering to other people or even ourselves, we're sanctified as we learn to think differently that is, our theology is, is grown and it's becoming more and more right. Uh, as we learn to love differently, that is, our worship, our desires are conformed more and more properly as they should be based on God's word. And then, of course, we learn to act differently. That is, our lifestyle and how we actually live is, is different. But again, the main thing we were trying to get is we can't just focus on the actions, which is where we, what we typically do, right? We do focus on how we live, but all of that needs to start with our hearts. How are we seeking to allow the Lord to shape who we are internally? So that led to uh, one example here. And this is not at all focused on, on the newlyweds, right? But when you see what typically happens in oftentimes, right, a, a married couple that's just arguing all the time, their greatest need is not 
to learn to not argue. That is something you want to address over time. You do hopefully want them to stop arguing, but the greatest need is actually learning how, what are they truly worshiping, right? What are they worshiping, desiring, wanting so much that's leading to the argument? And how is their theology wrong? How are they seeing themselves wrongly? As we saw typically, we are the kings and queens of our, our existence. Um, you know, God is really secondary to just kind of meet our needs. Sometimes we see him as that magical genie that he does whatever we want. Something about our theology is wrong. And so in a marriage that's falling apart, their greatest need is not learning to end the fight. It's learning the ways in which they're worshiping themselves and changing that and how to find God as their greatest delight and their greatest authority in their life. Um, so hopefully that was a, a helpful week. And then thirdly, we were covering the process. So if most of our life in sanctification is going to be seeking after heart change, right, learning to love and think more like Christ, um, what does it actually look like on a practical day-to-day -day basis? And what we were seeing over the last two weeks is that heart change happens as we engage in what's sometimes called the spiritual disciplines. So you, you break down all of the commandments of the Bible. Generally, they'll fall into one of these four categories with a lot more going on in between. So part of uh, heart change or sanctification is learning to relate to God as he's shown us in his word. And hopefully you remember that those were the two dual disciplines of scripture and prayer. So the oxygen of breathing in his word, everything about who he is, worshiping for that and responding in prayer and how we are praising and speaking to him. Uh, another spiritual discipline falls into the general category of our circumstances. That is learning to respond to what's going on in a devotional sanctifying way. You know, sometimes as we saw, uh, I think two weeks ago, our greatest desire is to simply change our circumstances, uh, which isn't biblical at all, right? The question we need to be asking as we go through trials and hardship is, what is God trying to teach me? How is he using these circumstances for my good as he is sovereign and he's, and he's directly planned this for a reason to shape me and mold me to become more like him? Part of the area of spiritual disciplines means we need to have very dynamic, engaging relationships with other people. That is, we need believers that are actively and regularly speaking truth into our lives. Uh, that could be easy truth, that could be hard truth, it could be encouragement, it could be just uh, correcting our perspectives. There's a sense in which even if you have all of your personal time with God um, nailed down, right? You're reading his word every single day. You listen to 500 sermons every single week. If you're not dynamically involved in people's lives where you're speaking into their life and they're speaking into yours, uh, you are not going to grow the way that God has called you to. And part of the reason is because all of us have hardened hearts, right? We're, we're blind to our own sin. We make excuses and rationalize things that we don't want to hear. And so that's where God uses his church, other people, to speak those truths into our lives. And then fourthly, as we saw last week, he uses you. And part of what we were saying there is we understand that the Holy Spirit, of course, is sovereign over all of our spiritual change. He's the one that's directly responsible for it. But as we saw in uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, God uses our effort as well. As we saw in Hebrews 12, we must strive after our holiness. And so we looked there at the importance of putting off and putting on, uh, the role of mortification, all the steps about uh, as you're looking at your life, what does it mean practically as you're arranging your daily schedule, your weekly schedule, the places you go to, um, how you spend your time, all of those more practical dynamics. Uh, and, you know, again, if you were to look at all of Scripture, there's so much more detail that's given, but these are the general categories that we need to be thinking about. 
on a practical level, how are you engaging dynamically with God? Um, how are you reflectively responding to your trials and circumstances? How are you humbly inviting input and exhortation from other people? And how are you radically striving to uh, change your behavior? Right? And again, the behavior is not by itself. It's stemming from everything in the heart. And so over these first three general categories, this is really the bulk of how we want to think about sanctification, right? We want to become more like Christ. That's the big picture. We want to allow Christ to dynamically shape our hearts as we're learning to love him properly and see the world properly. And then, of course, we need to change our practical actions, thinking about the day-to-day. How are we actually living? And I, I know, you know, at some point when you're hearing all this, is either one super overwhelming because you've never really thought about all these categories, or you're thinking, man, I just want to know how you actually use this when you're helping another person, right? So people can kind of fall into two categories, and there were great questions asked last week that kind of uh, stemmed into this direction, which is why today we're actually changing the order of our last two sessions to cover the pointers. So how do you actually apply everything that we've looked at so far about heart change and sanctification in your relationships with other people? Right? If it's true that the, the greatest need in a, a married couple that's fighting isn't just that the fights would end, but it's actually addressing the idols of the heart, what does it practically look like to come alongside another person and actually help them? So that's what we're going to see. And uh, we're going to actually follow Paul Tripp's model. Again, a lot of this is going to actually be a little bit different, but I think the, the fourfold outline that he gives is a helpful way to think about ministry. It's not the only way. Uh, there's very rarely a time where you actually follow all four in exactly uh, this, this step, but it gives us a general idea of how ministry tends to work. Uh, and the four-step uh, four model that he has is to learn how to love well, um, how to know truly what's going on in a person's heart. Oh, yeah, Dan, if you need to grab that, feel free to yeah, grab it. Um, how to then speak the truth properly, and then how do you actually help a person do or apply uh, what, whatever it is that you're talking about. So this fourfold model comes from um, a well-known pastor called Paul Tripp. He wrote the book Instruments in the, in the Redeemer's Hands, which was one of those recommended resources I gave. Um, highly recommend that you consider looking at it at some point, but it's, it's very big and it's very wordy. So I find that it's not the most clear thing for a person to always read, but a lot of good information about ministry. So if you're thinking about trying to help another person address um, the idols of the heart, um, that can be a helpful book to look at there. So this is uh, generally from him as we go through the material. Some of it's his, some of it's mine, or again, everything that God has given to a collective believers. So we're going to go through this not crazy fast, because I do want to be able to open up time for questions you guys have about ministry situations, but let's dive in here. So this is by far the briefest one, um, but everything needs to start with love. Right? When you think about ministry, it needs to be rooted in a love of Christ. As you see in John 14, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. And this is very simple, right? Uh, we need to be helping people, not because we just want uh, some type of situation change in our life, because we want our life to be better. It needs to be a genuine desire to care for them in the way that we've experienced love and care from Christ. You know, that means that you have to watch our motivations, right? You know, you can't be trying to correct or uh, minister to someone out of the spirit of pride or this person's just so horrible, they got to get it together. Uh, it always starts with experiencing the love of Christ and genuinely wanting to care for other people. Um, so, you know, you've probably heard 
that common moniker. Uh, are you viewing someone as a project or as a person? As you're engaging with them, is there a sense of I truly want to be their brother or sister in Christ and how I come alongside them? Or suggest I see that you have some type of issue in your life. I don't like it. So here's what you got to do to fix it. Right? We have to be careful that it's coming from a relational perspective. Uh, we'll move on and spend a little bit more time on each of these. The second step is, of course, no. And that is going through everything we've talked about, which is we want to know what's truly going on in their heart behind and beyond just the circumstance or situation. And so Proverbs 20, verse 5 is a passage we've looked at before, but it says this, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. In other words, what's going on, just as if you've seen like a deep lake or a river on the surface, is one part of their life, but there's so much more that typically goes on underneath the surface. And part of wisdom of how we're ministering is knowing how to draw out what's truly going on underneath the surface or in a person's heart. In other words, when a person shares their struggle or an issue or they're complaining or maybe you're having some type of conflict with a, a loved one in your life, you don't just address whatever the issue is, right? But you're asking the question, what is actually going on underneath the surface? What's the heart issue that's truly uh, the source of everything else that's going on in their life? And so there's generally three types of things that you can do. Uh, I'm gonna give you some more information under each of these categories. But one, you wanna ask open-ended questions, right? And so that simply means asking questions that can start with who, what, when, where, or why instead of a question that could be answered with yes or no. And, and the reason that you want to do this, again, it's not like you can never ask a question that will have a yes or no response is if, you know, if you're asking a question that says, well, are you being angry because uh, you're really just upset at your mom, right? There, there's only a, there's a very small answer they can give. Uh, a lot of times you're assuming maybe what's going on behind it. And it's not going to allow them to self-disclose what's truly going on in their life circumstance. Uh, when you ask more open-ended questions, it allows them to respond in a way that hopefully they're being candid and vulnerable with what's going on in their heart, as we're going to see in some of these other steps. So questions like this, what were you thinking and feeling in that situation? Right, when you got really upset and you just, you kicked the table and then you left the room, you know, what were you thinking or feeling in that moment? Um, what were you trying to accomplish by that? Did you really, you know, maybe you're they were thinking that if I really show them how strong I am, then, you know, they'll respect me. Uh, questions like, why do you think that that action was a solution to your problem, right? What are they trying to get at behind their actions? Um, when it comes to temptation, practically, when are you the most tempted, right? Is it a certain time of day? Is it with, when you're with a person, whatever it may be? Um, all of those types of questions to where you want them to be able to just share openly with what's going on, right? If you ask them a yes or no question, you'll get a two, one-word answer, and then maybe that's it. Open-ended allows them to really share what's going on, and then you can ask follow-up questions to try to get on for what, uh, what's underneath the surface. So be intentional in your dialogue. That's the first one. And secondly, listen for heart-revealing words. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're sharing anything, how we're responding, what we are thinking, why we acted the way that we did, all of that, uh, it, it's gauging to some degree what's going on, again, at the level of the heart, right? What, what are they truly showing about their theology, how they're seeing themselves, God, their, their storyline, their life? What are they wanting or desiring? So here are a couple categories. 
You want to listen for emotional words. That is a person's emotion and what they, they feel. So if a person's saying, I was just so afraid in this situation. I feel so helpless. Uh, I just feel like I'm in despair or this, this situation makes me really angry. Right? Emotions aren't things that we want to ignore because emotions, as we saw in week two, are always reflective or revealing of what we desire or are worshiping. Right? So uh, I mentioned this before. I've heard right through the grapevine that the Cardinals, the team, isn't doing very well. And uh, I don't care at all. You know? <laughs> they can be first. They can be last. It doesn't affect me. I feel nothing internally. You know? um, the reason being right, is because they just aren't important to me. Right? Hopefully that's not offending too many people in the room. I, I understand where we are, but just as a person that doesn't follow baseball to begin with, uh, it just, you know, again, for the sake of our church and for the city, yeah, great, I hope they do well, but it's not something that I have a lot of evo- emotional investment in. Versus people I've talked to sometimes every week that seem crushed because of some, you know, losing streak that's going on. Why do they feel that level of grief or sadness? Is because they really, really, it might, it might not be worship, but they really love and want and desire the cardinal success. So the emotions we feel, especially when a person is just voluntarily sharing it, is a reflection of what's going on internally. And so you want to think about what are these emotions revealing about their worldview and their worship. And then so similar to that, you want to listen to or listen for self-talk. So as they're speaking, what are they saying? That's just revealing how they see themselves, right? That's, that's showing them the theology of, of how they view their story. So it could be like things like, I, I feel like such a failure. So first of all, you're getting some emotion there, but they're seeing themselves as a failure. Okay. So the question that you want to start asking is why? You know, what in their situation, how they're viewing as priorities and what's important, making them think that they're such a failure. Or a comment like, I know that I just deserve to be happy. Okay, you know, what do they mean by that? You know, why do they think that they deserve happiness? What, what is that happiness? How are they defining success or happiness in life? The types of statements in which they're showing how they're truly seeing themselves, right? So as we talked about, there's a difference between your paper theology and then your, um, your practical theology, right? So you have the theology that we all ascribe to because we read the Bible and we say, I know that God is holy and I should live like him and, and all those things. Then we have the practical theology of our hearts. That is how we are truly seeing ourselves, not based on what we are told is the right answer, but based on our sinfulness, how we are truly seeing ourselves. Another category can be God talk. That is how we are truly seeing, again, not in our paper theology, but in our practical theology, how we are seeing God. Statements like this, I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. Why is it that my life is still turning out the way that it is? That's an interpretation of how a person is viewing God and how they think life should work out based on what they're doing. Statements like, God just simply doesn't hear my prayers. If they're saying something like that, and we know biblically God does listen to our prayers, assuming we're striving after him and not in you know, total sin, okay, that leaves you with a couple questions that you can be asking. Why don't you think he's hearing your prayers? Is it because you're not feeling a certain response? Is it because you know, you're not getting what you want? You know, those types of statements are reflective of a person's heart and how they're seeing situations. And then general interpretive words. This is just how we interpret circumstances and situations. Things like, this just shouldn't happen. As we looked at the, the vacation 
um, uh, illustration a couple weeks back where you know, you're going on vacation, the flight gets delayed, you've lost $2,000 worth of tickets. You're like, this just cannot happen. Well, there's some assumptions there. There's some beliefs there that's going on. Statements like, he or she's getting what they deserve. Right? If you're making a statement like that, there's a reflection of what you assume, uh, how you're interpreting or assume life should work. Or a statement like this, doing the right thing just doesn't get you anywhere. Right? There's a lot of interpretation going on in that statement. And so as you're talking to a person, again, this all applies to even ourselves as we're assessing our, our, our own hearts. But as you're ministering to a person formally or informally, as you're asking them questions or you're just hearing someone talking to you, maybe you're having dinner and they're just saying, man, life is so difficult right now. You say, well, well why is it difficult? And they just start talking about what they're going through. They're all, everything that a person says is a reflection of their heart. And so part of what we do as we're trying to minister to another person is trying to understand you know, what's actually going on in their heart. Uh, what is going on and how they're seeing life and what they're desiring and how they're feeling. Um, so you want to listen for heart-revealing words. And then the third step in this process, uh, I'm just calling organize your heart interpretation. Right? That is, as you're hearing a person speak, um, they're self-disclosing a lot of just you know, words and statements. You're asking them questions and follow-up questions. You're organizing your understanding of what's going on along four general lines. The first one is the situation. Right, so what actually happened or what is actually going on in their life? You know, no interpretation, no response, just what is the situation at hand? Person lost their job, a person's house got flooded, whatever. Then using this chart, you want to think about what is their response or what, is their, what are their works? So what are they actually doing as a response to the situation? So maybe the house got flooded and they just start punching the wall or they just uh, fall down and start crying and sobbing because they're saying all of my money was in this and I can't afford to pay it back. How are they actually responding to their situation? And then based on that and, and the questions you're asking, and this is an interpretive step, what are their desires and their beliefs? Ba that, that's being shown in how they're living and how they're responding to your questions. That is, what are they truly worshiping in this moment? Right? What are they desiring? wanting and loving that's causing them to act the way that they are? And then what are their true beliefs, their theology, that's causing them to desire the things that they want, right? And so part of it could be the reason that a person is absolutely sobbing after their house got flooded is because deep down inside what they truly worship is, is money. And so what they're wanting most in their life, what they've been striving for for years is just have this bank account, have the financial security that comes from it, and so the reason why it's that much of a devastating thing isn't because they lost their house, but because truly in that person's unique heart, what they absolutely want is now taken away from them. That sense of their finances is now gone. And then behind that response, what is their worldview or their theology that's a reflection of that, right? It means in part, you know, uh, they're saying that God is maybe either out of the picture or just not important or God only matters insofar as he's giving us what I want, that is financial stability. Uh, it could be the fact that you know, my identity must be in being a rich person or, or showing other people that I'm financially successful. Whatever it may be, every person is gonna be different, but all of our actions is gonna show in some sense what's going on internally of who we really are. And so when you're administering a person, you know, Typically, you're not going to always write these things down, especially in front of them, right? You're, you're not going to be saying, okay, tell me about your, 
your situation. Okay, and tell me about how you responded to the situation. It's, it's not always that rigid, but these are the general categories that are helpful to be thinking about. You know, as a person is, is living life, as they're sharing with you or you're asking them questions, you want to get to the level of the heart. What is truly going on in them of what they love and what they desire and how they're seeing life. Once you've done all of this, right, maybe this is a one-off conversation, maybe this is a friend that you've known for years and you've just heard from them over the course of weeks and months and years, you know, then you're thinking about, okay, I, I think I know generally what's going on. Again, it's helpful to ask questions to clarify and, and hear their thoughts. They could be wrong because we could be blind or sin. Then you can actually think about trying to speak truth into their life. And so this is then basically applying everything about the putting off and putting on. So from everything you've heard, assuming that it's accurate, again, it could be wrong, but let's, say, let's assume that you're saying things rightly, you're trying to figure out how do they need to view the world more accurately and biblically, and how can I help them see their need for change? So using the put off and put on, let me give you a couple questions that can generally fall into one of these two camps. So with the putting off, Ephesians 4, just simply, what is wrong about their theology and worldview? and their desires or worship, right? So just what is, what is wrong or unbiblical that needs to be corrected, that needs to be addressed and, and taken off, so to speak. Similar to that, what does God want this person to admit or repent of? So based on how they're living, based on their worldview, what they're worshiping, um, what actually needs to be recognized as sinful and wrong and unbiblical? And it's not just a matter of, hey, here's a way that you need to see things differently, but you actually need to repent of this sinful desire or the sinful worldview. Um, so this, uh, this all falls under that category of putting off, right? So what, what's wrong that needs to be removed from their life? And then, of course, secondly, which is the other half of uh, Ephesians 4, um, what do they need to put on? And so here are two more questions. What does God want this person to see? Right, so biblically, as you're thinking about theology and, and just the truths of how they're seeing themselves and their circumstances and God, what are they blind to biblically that they need to learn to see as being true and right? And so just thinking again, you've, you've, you've seen their heart as you've been asking them questions. Hopefully you understand what's going on internally. Then you're wanting to actually bring this more practically. Okay, so what do you need to see from Scripture? And then the second one is, again, similar to the other question. What are God's ways of thinking and living that need to be pursued? So how do they need to potentially change their life? What are these goals or the, the corresponding righteous thoughts and desires that they need to pursue if they're going to actually be able to run away and flee from whatever their sinfulness is? So if a person's uh, core worship or idolatry is greed for money or for security— you know, as you even see in Ephesians 4, uh, well, let me, let me ask you guys, what is that corresponding righteousness that a person should be seeking after? It's not greed, but it's... Also starts with a G. Generosity. Generosity. Yeah, so the, the goal is not just that a person would stop being greedy for money, but it's that they would actually learn, as you see in Ephesians 4, to learn to be generous and to give of what they have. Um, you know, I forget exactly how Paul words it, but instead of being a person that's full of um, unrighteous anger, learn to only have righteous anger, right? So there are times in which a person can be righteously angry, but only that which is righteous. 
if you have a person that's just always, you know, seeking to be selfish and served by other people, you know, my spouse must meet all of my desires, my kids must do it, the church must meet all of my desires, you don't want them to just say, hey, it's sinful to do that, stop, but you want them to see what is the righteous way of learning to serve other people, to gain a servant mindset instead of a selfish mindset. So it's this put off, put on. Um, so again, what's off about their theology and worldview and worship? What do they need to put on and pursue instead? All of this is now, after you've uh, understood their situation, you're now speaking in the truth. Maybe one other comment I'll mention about this. As you're seeing in these three steps, um, you're not just starting off by, by speaking at them, right? Um, some of us, I, I know I can be prone to this too, it's very easy if you know a certain amount of theological truth to hear a person's circumstance say, here's what's wrong and here's what's unbiblical, right? Uh, I'm not saying that you should never do that, but generally speaking, right, if we understand that what we're really trying to focus on isn't just behavior modification, but a heart change, we want to understand what are their idols that this person uniquely is pursuing? What's uniquely wrong about their theology? And then from there, be able to help them. Um, okay, is it related to this? Yeah. Yeah. Through, okay, I've done that, I've done that. Uh-huh. But it seems like I get stuck because there's so much animosity or whatever. Yeah. Like rejection mm. once you start. Yes, okay, that's great. So, so I don't even get to the speaking yeah. part yet, and I'm already hitting a wall, especially when you you know are trying to find what they're mm-hmm. worshiping or idling. Right. And you know it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to address it, and then you get to the speaking part. And by the time you get to the speaking part, they're just right. Like, no, yeah, yeah, uh, that's good. So we'll get there in a little bit. But the quick answer is, you can only help a person as far as they want to be helped. So that's part of ministry too. Is um, you know, there's no magic bullet. I have the one answer. I'm going to share it with them, and their life is forever changed. It, it's not that. Hey, I the more I grow in my ability, every single person around me is going to be radically different. You pray for that, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, that's an amazing thing to desire and hopefully see. Um, but again, because of people's sins, you can choose to reject all the great counsel in the world. And so, th- I think that's part of the dynamic which we can cover uh, as we get to the end of this too. Is uh, and, and that's in part where maybe you just get to the point where all you can do is pray, right? You've said what you can. And this is where we see, again, the power of the Holy Spirit needing to be the one that changes a person's heart, uh, whether they're an unbeliever, right, first of all, or a person who professes to be a believer. Um, yeah, that, that's another question, too. I get confused because just newly being saved, I, mm. maybe I'm hearing more of I need to be a fisher of men. Mm. I need to speak the gospel. I need to point out the sin that mm. I see in front of me. Then yeah, and you're hearing all of this. Back. Yes, okay, that's <laughs> so great. So, so um, I think we will address that at the very end, and, and that's actually a perfect example that you're bringing up. So, so we'll we'll get to it. If we don't hit every single thing, let's talk afterwards. You know, we can definitely dialogue. Okay. So, so far we've covered the first three: love the person, do what you can to know generally or genuinely what's going on in their heart, learn to speak the truth. That's correcting helping them see what they need to put off and put on. And then fourthly, just do. And now I'm using do, I think, differently than Paul Tripp would, but here's how I'm using it. How do you need to help this person apply new actions and commitments in their daily life? So it's one thing to be told, you know, you're really, um, the reason why you're struggling so much with your house is greed. 
here are these Bible verses that really help to show what it means to be generous. Uh, it's one thing to say, be warm and be filled, right? Here's the truth. But part of ministry is also helping them know how to do these things. So practically in this person's life, what are they going to have to do over the next day, week, month, so that God can use his word and all of these things that we've looked at um, to see heart change happen? And the way that you see this is this is basically just helping them know how to practice the spiritual disciplines. So if you have a, a child that you're trying to help with, you know, it's like, what does it mean to learn to um, you know, read God's word properly and read it in a way that is devotional and effective? Um, how can you help them to see their friends in a manner in which, you know, there's godly influences, usually from leaders or older people that are able to speak the truth into their life? Um, what do they practically need to do in order to you know, change the way that they're treating their siblings or another person or the situation? This is going to the, the last two weeks that we covered all the spiritual disciplines. How can they practically, what can they practically do that over the course of time through the power of the Holy Spirit will bring that kind of heart change that we're talking about? Whereas you're engaging with God, your circumstances, other people, and you're intentionally mortifying sin, that over the course of time, your heart will be changed, that your paper theology matches your practical theology, that you learn to love and worship God as your greatest desire, and therefore see and desire things in life appropriately. All of this is where you go back to the last two weeks, and those are all the practical things that we consider. And uh, again, this is kind of going to maybe some of Tina's um, questions, and then there's even more that we'll see that I think should be helpful. You know, there is no magic bullet, right? So it's not that I've learned the right thing. I'm going to have that aha moment. I'm going to share it with them. Uh, the reality is, in most cases, uh, spiritual change happens over the course of time, you know, weeks and months of intentionally engaging the Lord. And so there are times where you, you do share truth and a person's uh, world is just radically changed. That does happen because God is sovereign. In a lot of cases, it doesn't, right? And so then you just learn to point them in the right direction. That's why we have relationships over months and years. Um, that you know, God would use it over time. But then also, that last point is true. As we're thinking about ministry, um, we can only help someone as much as they want help, right? So it's, it's great if you know the right things and you want them to understand it. Um, but this is also where personal responsibility comes into play, you know, personal responsibility for our sin, for how we act, for how we even respond to uh, guidance and exhortation and wisdom that's being given. Um, you can do so much to help a, an individual, but ultimately it comes down to how much are they going to personally want it. We know that the Lord is sovereign. That's why we also pray that God would work in their life. And that's where sometimes we might even pray that God brings circumstances into their life that then breaks them and changes their viewpoint on whatever is going on. Uh, just a quick story. I remember uh, when I was first entering ministry, I think I heard from a number of people just, you know, positive comments about my teaching, preaching, you know, different uh, generally positive things. And, and my mom, my wonderful mother, has always known how prone I am to arrogance and pride, right? And I, th I might have shared this with some of you, but uh, early on in my ministry, she told me, Alex, I am praying that God does whatever it takes in your life to humble you. <laughs> and I, I looked at her thinking like, why would you pray that? <laughs> Again, biblical, righteous, and good, right? But just hearing that, I'm like, I know 
this is not going to be fun, right? This, this is not going to lead to, oh, and then you won a million dollars, and you've never gotten sick ever again. Um, and then, you know, over the next three, four years, it was, you know, some of the hardest, most painful ministry circumstances, this really hard things that God used to, to humble me. And I'm not saying I have no more pride because I know that's my natural bent, um, but the Lord used those circumstances in, in very strong, good ways, right? So uh, maybe if you do have a person where they're just really hard-hearted, uh, maybe they aren't saved or they think they're saved, this is the power of prayer and God working as well. You share what you can share, but then also trust the Lord has to work. And it might be that he has to bring a person to rock bottom um, before they finally realize what their idols are. Um, we don't know how the Lord will work, but we just do as, as much as we can. So this has been a lot so far. I do want to get to questions, but sometimes what helps these things really come uh, into clarity is when we're actually thinking through some type of ministry scenario. So this is where all of us together are going to work to think through how to actually practice some of this, okay? For time's sake, um, okay, we're going to do this. So here, here's how we'll do it. I'm going to give you the scenario. We're going to go through each of these steps besides love, because I think that should be pretty easy. Um, find one person next to you or two that you dialogue through each of these questions. And then I just want to hear some of your responses, okay? So you have some small group time and then whole group time. So here's the, here's the scenario that we're going to be doing together. Tristan, there's no Tristans here, right? Okay, all right. Just, just making sure that has happened. Uh, Tristan is a 26-year-old who has wanted to be a doctor since he was 12. Though he spent much of his childhood preparing, he didn't get in to med school. He's accepted that it's too late and now works as a medical scribe. His Bible reading and church involvement used to be good, but trailed off after his med school rejections. Sometimes he feels sad when he's alone with his thoughts, so he likes to stay busy. He reads the Bible and goes to church when he can, but is often busy with work and friends who notice that he gets angry whenever people mention doctors. Tristan feels like God is distant and asks you, why didn't God just let me get into med school? Life would be so much better if he did. So completely hypothetical scenario, but I think all of us relate that this is how life can often go, right? Rejection, failure, response. So uh, I want us to think a little bit about some of these categories here. So actually, I, sh I should have written it down. I didn't. But um, so let's assume that you are already loving on Tristan. You know him well. Maybe he's a family member, whatever it may be. Uh, now, under the no category, here's two general questions to be thinking about that I want us to spend a couple minutes dialoguing with a partner or two. So under no, what questions would you ask him to understand what's going on in his heart? So just what are some of those opening questions? If he's coming up to you saying, man, you know, why wouldn't God just let me get in? Life would be so much better. If you want to understand what's going on in his heart, that's shaping his works or how he's living, what types of questions would you ask him? And then, and this is where you are doing some assumption work, but this is just part of how you know the right questions to ask. What aspects of Tristan's worldview or theology might be off? And what are some things that he might be worshiping or idolizing in this situation? So again, you know, you ask questions because you don't know, but based on your relationship, you might have assumptions of what some of those things might be. So what are some things that might be off? So let's do this for just two minutes. Uh, maybe the people in your, your table. Just think about what are some of these questions you would ask. And then I'd love to hear from you guys. Okay, so I'll put on a timer. 
We'll do this for a couple minutes. Yes, two minute counseling session, okay? Okay, so let's, uh, let's bring it back together. Each of these, uh, just because for time, I, I do want to get through all of them. But yeah, let, let's have a, a group dialogue, so. All right, that, yeah. Patrick, you, you have a loud voice. Do you want to shout at people? Hello. Hello. There we go. All right. All right, everyone, let's bring it back. How's that? Okay. So I, I try not to shout too much, but um, okay. So what did you guys come up with? What are some of the questions you want to initially ask? And then what are some aspects of his theology or idol, uh, idolatry that might be off? All right. So what did you come up with? The questions, maybe some initial thoughts about what, what might be off? Okay, yeah, good, yeah, okay, yeah, well, yeah, no, and, and again, if you guys are resonating, that's a great thing, right? Um, Virginia, I know you uh, raised your hand. Um, what are you putting your hope in? Okay, yeah, what are you putting your hope in? Uh, what truly motivates you. Mm, okay, yeah, what's your great motivation and love? Why are you angry at God for? Okay, what are you angry for, yeah? Why, why did you want to be a doctor? Okay, great. Yeah, all, all of us are really, really good kind of initial probing questions. So, and I think from what you're saying, you know, you kind of already got into the second question. What are some aspects of his worldview or worship that might be off in this situation? I said that, oh, I think me, can I speak for Oliver? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that status and money mm. um, was more of an ultimate goal in life. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, especially in Asian culture, there's a lot of you know people that want to be doctors. I have a lot of doctors in the family. Helping people is last on the motivation. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always that. It's the money and the prestige. So I, I understand. Great doctors in your family. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. What What are some other uh, things that might be off? Good. But even if the motivation was like. I want to help people, like that's the primary motivation behind it, it would still be a mis, a misfire, if mm. that makes sense. Because yeah. if the Lord has not allowed it at that point, yeah. then they're still putting their hope in this thing with a great motivation and desire, but that's now become an expectation of the Lord. Mm. Yeah, okay, good. So even if it is a good desire, it can still be an idol. Yeah. What are some other things that could be off about the worldview, the worship here? Maybe in the, the back corner. Okay, go ahead. No, you speak it. Kayla and I were saying, like, trusting in God's will mm. more and knowing that God is unchanging, going back to his character and, yeah. and his sovereignty and pointing to that. Yeah. Because any time that you use a gift that has been given to you, you're to be using it to edify him, to mm -hmm. use him to glorify him instead of your own, your own self. Mm -hmm. and your own, fleshy part to do. So if he's wanting to be a doctor to help people, it should be to help people to glorify the Lord. Mm, yeah. And if the helping people doesn't happen, I'm still glorifying the Lord. How can I still trust in his mm -hmm. will? And, he's, and not question him and saying, well, yeah. you're changing. You didn't do what you were supposed to do, God. Right. No, that's great. Yeah, so potentially it's uh, just thinking that, you know, God must make sure I get what I want or, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, really helpful comments. Yeah, Kara. Um, it feels like he's using it like God is. Mm. 
like a, when things are going well, it says, then he like reads his Bible sometimes and goes to church and all like, can make it and that kind of thing. Like that's not his primary focus in mm. life. He put all of his energy perhaps towards pursuing that goal of becoming a doctor. Mm. And then when that's not there anymore, it seems like his life is pretty empty, which is not how it should be with a yeah. person who's walking with the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, all right, so all the comments you guys have made have been really helpful for Tristan, whoever he is. Um, uh, hopefully, it's, it's good to think about it. So, and, and some of you are already alluding to this next part. So you're asking the right questions, wanting to understand. Now let's think about speak, right? What are the biblical truths? And I know, Tina, you already especially alluded to some of this. What are the biblical truths that would correct Tristan's skewed worldview and idolatrous worship? basically correct his heart. And it's helpful if you can think about specific passages too, because this is part of how we even then relate to do. If you don't know any, uh, you can Google it because we're going to have about three minutes. But what are some of the truths that would help Tristan in this case um, that you can share with him as we go? Okay, so uh, let, yeah, we'll have a little more time, about three minutes to do that, but we'll go ahead and talk in your groups again. Back. No. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I would love to hear what you guys came up with. What are some of the biblical truths, verses that um, can help Tristan in this uh, situation that he's in? Yeah. Honest self-examination, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Okay, can you read that for us? Sure. But a man must examine himself, and in so, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Um. Okay, yeah, so um, that, that would be in the context of taking communion, but in general, it is helpful to examine ourselves for sure. Okay, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, given that, that the lady said, given that he had made his own plans uh, and then blamed God at the end of it, um, I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 9, that says, the heart of a man planned his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Mm, yeah, very classic verse, is trusting in God's direction. Yeah. Um, so, someone else? Yeah. Okay, same verse. Yeah, very, very good yeah, verse. I was, I was in 19, where it says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but mm. it is the purpose of the Lord. Yeah, okay. So well, kind of like Virginia said, yeah. it's, it's not God's purpose. Yeah. The will for your life for you to be a doctor at this particular time, hmm. and he needs to believe that, um, and to believe that whatever God's plan for his life is right now is hmm. better than what he has. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Other hands? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's Proverbs. I want to say 18, but I'm not sure. But to when you've got a trial, to run into the Lord, he's your strong tower. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, so several Psalms, especially like that. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Trust that he's your stronghold and strength and shield during that time. Okay. Good. Um, so, uh, Psalm 34 is hmm. a really good psalm that talks about you know putting, uh, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So, mm -hmm. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Hmm. Fear the Lord, you as saints. Those who fear have no lack. Mm. So, seeing that you know, pursuing the Lord will be fulfilling versus what you may have thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, part of um, any desire is a sense of delight or satisfaction that we're chasing after. So we're meant to find that in God, not in a career or money or whatever it might be. Yeah. Great. A couple more. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hmm. Those plans may not align with ours. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the context, because uh, that's a very famous verse. Do you guys know the context of that passage? Okay. Uh, one of you ladies, can you share what it is? It's about the Israelites. It's to the Israelites. Uh-huh. Well, and do you know what's about to happen to them? Um. <laughs> they're about to be conquered and thrown into exile. <laughs> so er they're going to lose everything. And it's in that context that he is saying, I know the plans I have for you is for good. And basically it's saying, yeah, God uses all circumstances, even the most painful of ones, where he still has a good purpose, which is, of course, that he's bringing them back. Christ now comes and, and we are where we are today. So, yeah. Um, the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, it says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fall and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Yeah, okay. So that one is because it talks about, you know, though I have absolutely nothing, mm -hmm. the Lord is my strength and I rejoice in it. Yeah, that's great. So that's where we should be, right? And, and Tristan can be there too. Yeah, really, really good verses you guys are bringing up. So now let's make it practical. I'm going to the do or the last part. And so this is where everything we talked about the last two weeks can really come into play. Let's assume as you're hearing from what you're seeing, he's not really engaged in church life too much, has all of these things wrong about what he's worshiping, what he's desiring. Practically, how would you try to help him uh, start doing things that can over time in the power of God lead to heart change, right? So it's one thing to say, here are some great verses, but let's say Tristan's hearing you and saying, you know, I, I think you're right. Um, what do I do, right? I will do whatever it is you tell me to do over the next three months. What would that, you know, counsel be? Okay, so let's take another three minutes. This will be the last kind of section of this uh, case study, and then we'll come back. So hopefully at this point, you've heard a situation, you've been able to ask the right questions so you understand what's going on internally. You've been able to give some level of counsel about you know, the biblical truths that correct his heart and idolatry and worship. Uh, but now, how do you actually help this brother or sister, whoever it may be, saying, you know what, I think I do need to see change. What do I actually do? What did you guys come up with? Um, uh, one of the things we talked about was making sure you're doing whatever you're counseling because like if you're saying oh you need to be engaging in the church more but you're not doing that yourself that's not the best place to be but then by doing it you can also invite them into it mm. so like hey we want to be like I'm in fellowship I noticed you haven't been in fellowship quite as much like why don't you come to small group with me or mm. come to a bible study with me or you know, come serve with me in this way. Yeah, okay, great. So practice what you preach, and then you can model that. Yeah? Good. Practical counsel. Um, what I mentioned was encouraging him to, um, like, it's it said that he reads the Bible and goes to church when he can, so assuming that's true and not just something that he said, mm. right, I would try to encourage him to do that, kind of like Virginia said, but... I would encourage him specifically to read the Psalms because there's a lot of frustration and disappointment in the book of Psalms. Mm. And that's not prescriptive, right? It's not justifying his frustration, but it's encouraging him to take that to the Lord 
in a biblical manner and not just let it sit with himself mm. and with other people. Yeah, that's good. So maybe you're giving him like a specific uh, type of devotional reading to consider that can address some of those issues or concerns. Okay, good. Well, with Psalms, just encouraging him to really reflect and repent. Because one thing, he clearly doesn't like to be alone with his thoughts, but mm. the first step that we talked about would be repenting yeah. and asking the God to con God to continually search his heart and reveal to him the things he needs to repent mm. of. Yeah which he can do in the scripture. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's great. Because there's a difference between being told, hey, this way that you're thinking is wrong and him taking the effort, right, going to that sense of do every day saying, Lord, I know that these are the idols that I'm worshiping and wanting. This is wrong. I confess it before you, right? Help me to turn away from these things, right? So be intentional with that. So that's good. What about from this side? It's kind of building off of everything all the mm -hmm. Because mm. right now it's kind of like one foot in the door, one foot out, mm. and his priorities aren't straight mm -hmm. with that. And before he can go and even get the discernment and understand what God's trying to tell him to do, mm. he has to be focused on God first, which he isn't. Yeah. So, yeah, so on the big picture, it's, you know, you have all these things you're doing. Is God the first thing you're thinking about? How are you prioritizing him, right? Yeah, that's good. Maybe one more. Uh, okay. um, I was thinking maybe encouraging him to keep a thankful or gratefulness journal every mm. day because he sounded like, you know, white. If, if mm. I could be a doctor, things would be better. Yeah. And he's just a scribe, medical scribe. But he could be thankful and count his blessings and mm. have a different attitude. Yeah. Yeah, so very practically as you're thinking about arranging your schedule of, okay, every week, what things am I committing to doing or being at? Then as part of your devotional, maybe it's, okay, I'm going to read a psalm a day that covers some of these issues, and I'm going to write down and then praise God for 15, 20 minutes. This is what you've given me, right? Regardless of what I don't have, here's what I do have from your hand. And that could be a huge difference in, in cultivating a heart of worship. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so, uh, okay, real quick. It's, it's a matter of, in a journal form, giving God five reasons hmm. why um, why he is good. Yeah. Great gratitudes, five gratitudes. Hmm. Give God five gratitudes in the journal. Hmm. That's great. That can turn, that can flip that around from, uh -huh. oh, whoa, it's me too, oh my gosh. Yeah. Good. So if you want to make it super practical, write down five things and pray about them right, as you're reading through the psalm. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, I, guys, I hope that that was helpful to think through. Um, just, you know, again, you're not going to always follow all four exactly in the same way, but these are some of the general practices that we want to be thinking about as you are engaging in, in ministry with people. Um, let's just go real quick because I know we're running out of time. I just want to end with a couple uh, pointers to consider. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think we'll have time to go through too many questions. So as we're engaging in all of this, there's a lot of practical helps or things to consider. Let me just give you three, uh, three ones real quick. So number one, we've alluded to this, never ignore people's emotions. In, in uh, theologically, quote unquote, specific or accurate church like ours, we have a tendency to ignore people's emotions, right? We say, don't fall into emotionalism. That's bad. 
But as we've seen, emotions are always a reflection of what we are wanting, worshiping, and desiring. And so we don't overemphasize them, but we don't underemphasize them because they are revealing uh, what's going on in our hearts. Secondly, and this goes to, I think, one of Tina's questions, truth needs to be unbalanced and then rebalanced. That, that's a phrase used by David Pallison. What that means is uh, in ministry, when you're helping a person understand a situation or, or counsel, you're only able to say so much in a single time, right? You're going to unbalance particular truths of scripture that speak to that person's specific needs and idols. The danger, right, is scripture says so much about everything. And so we need to rebalance particular ministry points with the rest of theology, right? And that's not something you can do in one day, but it's just the, the need over the course of time to grow your theology. So to your point in question, Tina, you know, you're, we've talked about how you practically help a person think through these issues, but then you were saying, but now you're also mentioning, I need to trust God and, and not do that, right? So how do you understand it? This is kind of what we were doing here. So in unbalanced, we're talking about a specific situation, ministering to a person. Here's what you can say and do. The reality is there's a hundred thousand other verses and principles that we can consider, and then we rebalance it with the rest of our theology. So here's how you minister our class, rebalance it with we need to trust in God's sovereignty and growth. That's going to be a, a lot of different things for a lot of people. Uh, another example that came up was during the financial stewardship class. I was a part of it. I know some of us were, and we enjoyed it. You know, the first couple of classes were all about the idolatry of money. A lot of good things to consider. Uh, as I was debriefing, you know, with Dave, a number of people walked away saying, this is great. Now I never need to think about money ever again. <laughs> then you get to the second half of the class, which is all about the Proverbs and the wisdom of how we should think about money. And so if you only heard one of those sections, you could walk away with the skewed, unbiblical view of how we should think about money. We need all of it. Right? Every single one relates to each of us uniquely, depending on what we're going through, but the totality of scripture is a lot. And so that's why we need, the, we need both the depth of theology and how it applies to specific situations, but we need the breadth of it as all. Last thing I'll say, know how much heat is needed. And so this goes to, I think, Tony's question last week from 1 Timothy 4, uh, where you know, there, you know, Paul is commanding, it's you know, specifically Timothy, but this is the work that all of us do, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You know, what is the difference there? And again, there's, the difference isn't always as strong, but if you want to break it up, you know, reprove is the idea of correcting or exposing sin, right? Just showing a person how they're wrong. Rebuke is a stronger word of you must turn away from this. That's the word that Jesus used to rebuke the demons in the sea. Person that's not turning away from their sin, there is a stronger exhortation that comes as you think about even Matthew 18. Uh, and then exhort is just the idea of appealing or urging or encouraging a person. So what I mean by know how much heat is needed is depending on who you're talking to, you don't want to start off by just yelling at them and condemning them for their sin, right? Maybe you start off with a gentle reminder or encouragement or say, brother, this, this area of your life is sin and you really have to address it. But if a person is not turning away and they are calling themselves a Christian, over time, that is where you do escalate the heat a little bit, right? You say, it's been two weeks and you're still dealing with this really bad sin. You need to repent. Like you must turn from this. This is damaging for your soul. It's hurting the people around you. You know, and every situation is different, but there is a sense in which it does escalate. Then as you follow Matthew 18, maybe you do get another person involved. Maybe then it comes to the church. Whole other conversation. Um, and we'll stop there. There is so much we can say. Um, 
obviously in this type of class format, there's only so much we can cover, but the goal again is to just give you guys a taste of how ministry can work. There's many resources I can point to if you're curious about it. If you have other questions, feel free to come ask me too. Uh, I want this to be helpful. So to end our class next week, we're gonna look at toxic spirituality. So everything we've covered so far hopefully has been helpful. There's ways in engaging this that can be so close to the truth but actually bad for people's souls. And so that's where we'll, we'll end the class, okay?